Welcome to the Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and my special guest today is Dr. Brett Stetka. Welcome, Brett. Thank you, Dr. Wilner, for having me. This is a very exciting, and I'm glad to be here. Brett, so we've known each other by way of uh, disclosure at least 10 years, and uh, you are my editor at Medscape and have been wonderful. So we're going to get that out of the way. And in addition to being an editor, you're also a freelance writer. I know you write for Scientific American and you do programs for NPR and you have a new book. So that's what we're here to talk about today. And I can see it there. It's a history of the human brain. So right away, you know, that interested me. I'm a neurologist. And I also felt jealous. It's like, how come this guy is writing a history of the human brain and I'm a neurologist and and I didn't write it. So first of all, tell me, how did you get it in your head, so to speak, to write about the human brain? Sure. And you probably should have written this book. Maybe I just I I beat you to it somehow, but I I hope you have one coming down the down the line. Um, I had never thought about writing a book. I've been as you mentioned, an MD turned health and science journalist. I've been writing for NPR and Scientific American and, and been an editor at Medscape for about 14 years now, which it turns out I got old at some point. Um, and and uh, honestly, an agent liked some of the writing I was doing and contacted me and, and said, do you have an idea for a book? And I said, no, I don't have an idea. I have no ideas for a book. I've never, I've never thought about even writing a book. And and then I, I just kind of poked around. It was a, a nice to get the that you know the opportunity, and and it turned out no one had really written a book for you know the public or a layman's book about just the history of how our brain evolved. There were there were plenty of academic books on that, um, and I had just read a couple of books on the heart, uh, on how the you know how we came to understand cardiovascular function and the heart itself, and. Uh, so I said, what if I just do a history of the brain? I don't think that's been done. And uh, yeah, my publisher, uh, Timber Press and Workman Press were into the idea. And uh, I, I think I somewhat stupidly decided to start 3.5 billion years ago with the dawn of DNA and life on Earth. I don't know if I would do that again, but it was a, f- a fun challenge to fit in the whole sort of timeline of how a brain got here, how a, a human or a primate brain got here in 250 pages. Yeah, I was very impressed by the uh, scope because if ever I had thought of writing a book like that, I would have immediately decided not to write that book because it's way too complicated and I would get, you know, lost in the in in the forest and the trees trying to get all the details because you covered a few billion years as you said in 250 pages. I'm 70%, well, Kindle tells me I'm 71% through the book. So, um I think I know how it ends, but I'm I'm not sure. But it's been it's been a great read. You know, it's uh, I think it's NPR like, you know, it's readable. It's funny. And I, and I wrote down a line here, which I think characterized the book. And it, and it just so happened that I was, um, you know, uh, as for those who watch this program, you'll see I'm in a different studio and uh, this studio is not quite done. So we don't have the art of medicine uh, background. And you wrote this line. We were dads at Home Depot comparing cordless drills. And I just thought that was great because this dad was at Home Depot looking for a cordless drill, 
right about the time I read that in your book. And so you kind of bring everything, sort of make it kind of pragmatic. And, you know, what does this mean to me? You know, when, when our brains were evolving and the different, you know, hominid species were kind of uh, evolving and fighting it out, apparently, as to who was going to be dominant, uh, ultimately uh, us, for better or worse. And I also like that aspect of your book where you uh, keep sort of the balance that, uh, you know, not everything that evolves is good, you know, like the ability to make a nuclear weapon may not have been like the best possible result of evolution. On the other hand, you know, learning how learn the wheel was certainly a good thing to come around. Um, and the other, the other fact uh, that the other thing you dwelled on quite a bit was food. And I know you have an interest in food. Did, did do you write about food or just photograph food or what's, what's the food thing? So when I started uh, my career in health and science journalism um, with Medscape back in uh, 2006, 2006, I believe, I, I started kind of a goofy donut blog. Um, this is a, a, a strange side story, but I, I started writing about donuts for fun because I had just moved to New York City, a lot of good donut shops around. And that sort of turned itself into a, a side career in food writing. So I, I would review restaurants, I'd review just different foods and ingredients and, and beers. And it was just fun. And I, I do love food. I love cooking. Um, so when I and really the impetus for this book was I was at the American Psychiatric Association annual meeting reporting for Medscape. And I went to a session uh, with a psychiatrist named Drew Ramsey, who's in the book, and Emily Deans, who's also in the book, um, about, you know, the evolution of the human diet. And, and, you know, why is seafood so good for us? Why is the Mediterranean diet so good for us? And really how our diets evolved. And there's a zillion opinions out there, as you can imagine, and, and nutrition science can be very dicey and correlational and not accurate, to be fully honest. And uh, but, you know, the consistently the evolutionary biologists, the anthropologists really cite our omnivorism, our, you know, our adaptability as a big part of our story, um, because so many, you know, evolution is kind of a tortuous mess of, of you know, dead end species and there were nine humans on earth at one point, nine human species, and all of them are gone except for us. And everyone believes, the scientists believe that it's because we can eat just about anything. I mean, that's a big reason why we're here is that we can eat, we can live in the forest and eat fruits. We can live on the plains and dig up rhizomes and tubers and corms. Uh, we have ended up scavenging, hunting. Meat obviously is a huge part of our history and vegetarians admit that. I've interviewed many of them. Uh, and seafood was huge, incredibly healthy for the brain. Our brains evolved at sea hundreds of millions of years ago. And so, yeah, the, the, just the fact that we could eat anything really helped us. And that sort of tied in my past food writing career with uh, this book. Yeah, I sensed that there was a lot of energy in the uh, food part. Right. So after you figured out what makes a healthy brain in terms of, you know, I guess you are what you eat to a, a large extent. Had, did your diet change? Did you say, you know, those omega-3 fatty acids, that, that's really a strong story or that's nonsense. Did you, did you come up with any conclusions? It certainly changed pre-COVID. Um, I was eating a lot more seafood, a lot more vegetarian. Uh, my wife and I were trying to be much more vegetarian, no fried foods, limited red meat. Um, but then COVID hit. And we were up at our, uh, our cabin in upstate New York, 
and there was a grill sitting right here and we had to cook everything for ourselves. So we've slipped a little bit into grilling, probably a little bit too much meat. And, you know, I've, I had, I went to McDonald's for the first time in 10 years out of desperation and it was really good. That's the problem. <laughs> That's right. I was just reading the part about cheesecake and you say, uh, Dr. Pinker wrote that, you know, cheesecake is just this invention of taking everything good, right. And putting it all together. So it's completely irresistible. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a scientifically designed food to hit all of our reward centers and it does, it hits them. So it takes some restraint. Uh, but it definitely got me thinking about that. And, uh, but you know, I don't want to eat McDonald's, but I understand the urge. And so Pinkerton, what yeah. did you learn? What's special about the human brain versus every other brain, every other animal? That's a great question because, you know, really not that much. I mean, you, if you look at a fish brain from 400 million years ago, it's got, it's, it's divided into three sections, just like our brain is in a very rudimentary way. You can call that the reptilian brain, which is like the brain stem, mm -hmm. paleo mammalian brain, which is the limbic system, the amygdala, the hippocampus. And then the neo neo mammalian brain is the, our big cortex, our big prefrontal cortex. But you know, the fish still has a version of that. Um, so I think a lot of it is it became structural. So our brain was growing and growing in size and the smart mammals, such as other apes, chimps, bonobos, gorillas, and smart sea mammals like orcas and certain porpoises, you know, have huge brains proportionally to the size of their bodies. Uh, you know, they have large encephalization quotients as many doctors will remember from med school. Um, but then when you get to the human, we have a very large brain for our body size, but the connectivity of our brain, how, how these neurons are wired together and how the columns in our cortex and these pyramidal cells are connected becomes much more interesting on a pathologic, you know, a microscopic level. You see more space between the, the, the neuronal columns in our cortex. You see this in chimpanzees too, and you see it in whales. And then in us, it's, it's very striking that they're spaced farther apart and there's far more neuronal connections or synapses. So I think eventually what distinguished our brain was how it was wired, maybe the architecture, how it was connected became more important than sheer size. And that's, I think that's the most unique aspect of our brains. And it's not that different than a chimpanzee's brain though. So we, all sh we should remember that, yeah. I, I think that's important. Well, I, I wanna ask you a writer question. So, did you write the book in an outline form? I know there's quite a few interviews and quotes from people, kind of like a Scientific American article. Right. And uh, did you have sort of it all mapped out? Or did you kind of just say, gee, I ought to interview that guy? Or, yeah, this is interesting. I'm going to, you know, did it just kind of write itself, you know, step by step? Or did you have it all put together at the beginning? It was a, a little bit of both. Um, when I decided to write the history of the brain, I, I jotted down an outline and, and I needed an outline to submit a book proposal in the first place. Um, so I, I had general ideas. I've, I've read about evolution, read Darwin, read Stephen Jay Gould and Dawkins, all these, all these guys all my life and, and love evolution. So I had a general sense. So I kind of plotted that out through an outline and then did some research on what really drove our brain evolution. Um, and that's where I got into diet and Richard Wrangham from Harvard, the anthropologist I cite a lot, talks about fire and socializing, creativity. And so I, I definitely had an outline, but as I was writing it, 
I kind of wrote it as I thought it happened and then would go back, read research, read books, read papers and correct myself, fill in the gaps. Um, and yeah, so it's, it definitely came naturally, but I had to research to, to sculpt sure. the narrative. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I think it's a great read. So if someone wants to buy the book, where do they go? Where can they find it? Uh, you can Google my name, Brett Stetka, and go to Amazon.com. Uh, you can search A History of the Human Brain, and it will pop up on Amazon, on Walmart, on Target, all the all the sites, um, pals.com. But yeah, just Google A History of the Human Brain, and it will come up. Brett, I want to thank you for this discussion about the human brain. As a neurologist, I always like learning about the human brain. I got 29% left to read of your book, and uh, I don't want to be done hopefully in the next... Uh, week and uh, it's a fun read it's a different uh, perspective and i can see a lot of uh, hard work went into it and uh, i want to thank you for doing it and thank you for appearing today on the art of medicine thank you dr wilner you're too kind and i, I appreciate it and thanks everybody for watching this program is hosted edited and produced by Andrew Wilner, MD, FACP, FAAN. Guests receive no financial compensation for their appearance on the art of medicine. Andrew Wilner, MD, is Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Memphis, Tennessee. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program belong solely to Dr. Wilner and his guests and not necessarily to their employers, organizations, or other group or individual. While this program intends to be informative, it is meant for entertainment purposes only. The Art of Medicine does not offer professional financial, legal, or medical advice. Dr. Wilner and his guests assume no responsibility or liability for any damages, financial or otherwise, that arise in connection with consuming this program's content. Thanks for watching. For more episodes of The Art of Medicine, please subscribe www.andrewwilner.com